You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to a very special edition of the Apple Insider Podcast. Joining me is Daniel Aaron Dozier from San Jose. Hi, I'm live at the San Jose uh, WWDC event. We're in the media room, so it's kind of a little bit noisy, but taking a minute out between sessions and uh, briefings to do a recap of what's going on. So it's going to be a little bit noisy, but I hope you'll bear with us. And this is going to be an interesting conversation. Let's talk about some of the things that we saw today. Well, starting the show with uh, iOS, uh, what's happening, one of the biggest problems that we've had in the past release, they did a lot of work and, and redid a lot of things with the UI for iPads last year. So this year, there's a huge focus on performance and making things really work well. But one of the most strategic things uh, with Siri shortcuts, the ability to create workflows and assign a, a voice prompt to it so it kind of um, launches a, a either a specific task or a series of tasks. And it's also something a developer can do. They can set up a common task so that you can assign a, a voice thing to it. So I think that's kind of important because it gives Siri something that uh, reliably works. One of the problems with Siri we've seen in the past is people don't really know what it can do. It, it just kind of advertises it can do everything. And so you try a, you know, a variety of things and some of them don't work. Some of them don't work as expected. And it's frustrating and people kind of stop using it. Uh, because it, you know, when you try a couple things and it fails, you just go back to um, the old ways of doing things. Uh, so, so giving some serious, some reliable things that work, that you know how they're going to, you know, it's, you know what's going to happen when you give a voice command. Um, not only makes it more useful in opening it up to third parties uh, apps, but also makes it more consistent and gives gets uh, people used to using it. So I think that'll be very good for Siri. And the way that I saw it in the keynote implemented was that there were two different ways to work with it. There was uh, developers can make their apps work with it. And so you can be using an application and it can prompt and say, would you like to create a Siri, so sh forgive me, a Siri shortcut for this? And, and you give it a phrase and that phrase then becomes a deep link into that app for that app's function. So instead of having to open an app, navigate to a tab within an app, and then issue a command to do something with the app, you can have a voice shortcut that goes directly through those three steps for you. Yeah, so what Siri describes is, uh, or what Apple describes Siri as being, it's not just a voice assistant, it's kind of a general intelligence. So some of the things that Siri does are search suggestions, which aren't really even voice related. I mean, you might you might ask for something, but even when you, um, when you pull up your phone or on, on Apple Watch, the Siri page, there's these Siri suggestions that say, hey, you're, you know, I see there's something in your calendar, do you want driving directions there, that kind of thing. And... So in addition to doing that, it's now offering to create a voice-based request. I notice you do this. I notice you make these um, orders, for example. Do you want to automate it into a voice request so that you record, right. you record something and then it kicks it off and does it? And it's been doing some kind of suggestions for some time now. For example, every time I connect to my car stereo, it says, oh, you're connected to car stereo. When you're connected to car stereo, you tend to open maps. And so it... it prompts to open maps for me kind of thing. So there's but, that, that intelligence thing that, that they call Siri Suggestions. And then there's a new app that's um, called Shortcuts that uses Siri Suggestions to create a workflow. It, it apparently is based on the workflow that Apple bought that we could kind of anticipate they were going to do this with. Um, that's one of the things I suggested in saying, 
you know, one of the problems with Siri, like I mentioned, if it had something where you could just set up a, a task and say, do this when I give this request, then you can pick up your phone and say, you know, give me my itinerary, and it, it does something useful. And apps can also make, you know, hardwire their own suggestions. So it says, you know, here's something you do in the app. Do you want to make this into a suggestion? And you can basically record what you want it to say. It'll dictate what you're saying, and the next time you say that phrase, it'll kick off whatever activity it is. So it's a smart way of making Siri right. more useful. The, the Shortcuts app, which is, of course, we think based on the Workflow app, it, it looks for all the world like it, is is similar to the kinds of automation tasks that you can do in in the Home app for HomeKit stuff, you know, in that you, you set up a trigger and then a response and then a response and then a response. Um, it's also kind of a good way to think of it as sort of like the if this then that dot com site or app, except that you have many more steps that you can incorporate. You don't have to just have the, the basic if one condition do this one other thing. And instead, you can have multiple conditions and, and have a long series of chained events. You know, like if I'm heading home was the example in the keynote, you can say I'm heading home. Um, text message my partner to let them know that I'm on my way and what my ETA is. Start the radio station, set the thermostat at the house you know, a number of different things that you can have all chained off of the one prompt phrase. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like programming uh, without code. It, it, it's building blocks similar to Automator on, on Mac OS X. And that's what this third party, uh, the, the team behind the uh, workflow, that's what they're doing on iOS. And so Apple, you know, used that because it was good implementation, to, uh, implementation. So that looks like it's going to be cool. Now... I think the performance is a big deal. Apple took a lot of drubbing in the press over performance, especially around battery life and and the idea that phones were being uh, scaled back on clock speed because of bad batteries. So for them to focus on performance or making things speedy again it isn't directly in response to that, but it kind of feels like it is and just in terms of how people feel about their phones. Yeah, of course. I mean... A lot of things that people complain about are the things that Apple is also working on. Um, another example of that is, of course, everyone just recently decided that iPhones are, are addictive, especially for children, and that Apple wasn't doing anything about it. And they made it into kind of a big deal. Why isn't Apple doing anything about this pro problem that well, we just invented? And, you know, it is a real problem, here. and Apple is actually working on it. So that's that's what they are showing off in the new iOS, too. Yeah. And, and it's not that just people were talking about this. Johnny Ive mentioned it in his interview with The New Yorker uh, um, months ago, back when Neil Hughes was still on the podcast. He was talking about how when Johnny Ive was asked about the device, he said it's too addictive. People spend too much time looking at their phones. And he solves this personally by looking at his Apple Watch. Yeah, it's kind of like um, anytime Apple acknowledges that they're working on a problem or, or they acknowledge a problem and they're working on it without even saying it, it gets kind of reported that, you know, here's a problem and Apple isn't doing anything about it. Kind of the same thing with, you know, when they come out and report what they're doing in, in factories, and everyone says, "Hey, you know, here's the problem." Is they just admitted that there's a problem and they're not doing anything about it when that's actually what they're doing. So a number of these things that they're they're doing for iOS and also on the Mac are responses to uh, things they've been working on for a while and recognizing. But the the tools for managing, um, not just you can look at your own use and see how much of your time is being spent on what apps, how often you're picking up your phone. You give all these uh, statistics what what's going on with your phone and how you're using it, and you can set limitations for yourself, and you can also set limitations for your kids. And what's new about the kid limitation thing, there, there were some uh, parental controls before, but now it's a remote kind of situation where you 
set up controls on your kids phones and um, so you can say you can play games for half hour or an hour or whatever and once they finish that they're not able to launch games anymore until uh, you give them permission and the kids can request permission they can say hey can I have another 15 minutes or half hour or whatever it goes to your phone and when you approve it it automatically allows them to start playing again so well, that's some good implementation the, the, you can also have allowances so you can lay out just how much they can have and extend them um, without having to have the approval process like that necessarily the other thing that's really interesting is the the content um, where in the past there were parental controls for content but they were not fine-grained they were pretty much whack-a-mole you, you you took down one thing you took down all of it and now there's some some determination about things being age appropriate. There's some things where you can say, I want to allow education-based applications through, but not games or other kinds of things like that. So you have a lot more control about what you allow through. The other big thing that jumped out for iOS um, was the how fast they're working with AR. You know, they brought that out and last year they, they made the comment that, you know, Apple is suddenly, you know, from zero to the huge, you know, the biggest AR platform. Um, and then Just they pushed out another release shipping. within the year. And now, within a year, they've pushed out their, or they're pushing out their third big release, this AR2, that adds a, quite a lot of things uh, to AR. Um, it's a complex subject, and there's a lot of technology that, that is kind of not obvious of what's happening. But basically, the, the concept of AR is that you're creating graphics and overlaying it re with reality, but you have to anchor them together so that they look like they're like the 3D graphics are um, part of the natural world. And how it does that They have is, to have a surface to sit on, right? Yeah, how it knows where, where a surface is, is it's comparing the camera to the motion controls, the motion sensors in the device um, to get a sense of what's, what, what the real world is, you know, what's happening. So it's looking and it, it can tell that there's a table, but it also has to know how your phone is moving in space. So it, it looks at motion data. But now what it's doing with 2.0 is it's doing that for multiple clients at once. So you can have two people playing a game where they both are looking at this, you know, virtual world from different camera perspectives. You can have actually multiple people doing that. So you yeah, can have two people playing a game and, and somebody else, you know, multiple people observing it. Um, and also the idea of persistence where you're creating a, a world somewhere where you're dropping a uh, basically a 3D model that people can interact with and um, go in and out. So you could, for example, in a museum create something related to a statue so that when you point your phone at it you get information about it and it's something that multiple people can do without um it's actually set up in the real world so whenever you whenever you look at it, it just is there instead of right now ar ar kit in, in in ios as it has been has been creating sort of a a temporary thing right where you're sitting where this is the idea of persistence so you're creating something that's that's always there and when somebody visits that spot they see these graphics that you have created there. And then the other interesting thing that they're One doing the other... is... Go ahead. No, I, I was really interested in the sharing part of this because that seems like one of the big paths to adoption. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Go is, for it. Is, is creating this, this file format that um, developers can use to build uh, these basically models that, uh, like you said, is, is all about sharing. So you can send it to other people, they can see it, or you can... Adobe got on stage and was showing off the, you know, the tools for implementing that. So um, it's really dramatically expanding the, what the, the platform of AR that they're building.
They they are big believers in AR, and and a lot of people have commented that this is um, that they're skeptical, right? Many people are skeptical about augmented reality, but I I think it's skeptical of what people have uh, of of the utility of it. Utility. Yeah, people haven't really felt the the utility of it in a big way yet. There are a lot of skeptics, and I, I think there's there's been sort of rumblings that the the best applications are things like architecture and. And and as you say, museums. But I really am am optimistic that the sharing features are what help this change. Yeah, and if you think about it, I mean, a lot of things Apple does are are um, building on top of what they did before. Um, we're going to also talk about messaging, which is another example of that. But with AR, uh, like you said, you can look at it and say, "Oh, what is the purpose of this? You can play games on a on a table." But what's really happening is you're convert your um, merging. A synthetic virtual world into the real world by comparing what a you know machine camera vision with motion detection, that's going to also be necessary to go beyond that into other areas. So if you're going to build goggles, you know the, this future idea of having glasses that you look out and see labels in the real world, that requires these building blocks of AR to be built. You have to have that. And Apple has a really big um, advantage in, in investing in AR because. Uh, they have this huge platform of devices that are very consistent. That does not exist anywhere else. The only the, the big platform, I mean, Android is a bigger platform, but all the devices are different, and they all have different um, components that don't work the same way. So it's much harder to build stuff that works across a lot of devices. And you know, Google has been working on AR, you know, in public longer than Apple. They they released all the Tango stuff that was more ambitious in some ways, and yet. Their implementation um, was really constrained by the fact that there aren't any Android devices that could fully support the fancy stuff, and the basic stuff was hard to implement across um, all these phones that are slightly different. And even now, I mean, Google can make a phone that's very much like an iPhone, and Pixel phones are, are very much like an iPhone in, in terms of what they can do, but no one's buying them. What people are buying are either cheap phones, which are going to be very difficult to make work with, with something that requires both high performance and also, you know, um, working very consistently because they're all made by different companies or these high-end phones that, you know, people don't buy a lot of. And so Apple has a very unique system or a very unique situation in that they're selling huge numbers of higher-end phones. All the phones Apple sells are more expensive than the average Android phone. Yeah. And so, so with AR, they have a really good... Can we talk about messaging, though? Yeah. No, I mean, let's talk about messaging. That's that's also a similar example of, you know, Apple was building stuff on top of chat, and people were saying, why is, why is Apple making apps on chat? And then they released, like last year was business chat. It's like, that makes sense, actually, for uh, if you're doing support. Um, corporations have a lot of ways that they want to communicate with people that require an application um, format. So you can do a little bit more sophisticated communication. And now they're... Um, a lot of individual things that they've been building, I mean, like Animoji seems like just kind of a trivial thing, but they're now um, mapping that with AR so that you can create this character that, you know, that's been done before. You can create a Memoji type thing. But you can now, um, in FaceTime, map this character on your face. So you're merging, you're merging this graphic world, you're putting AR in your face. So you're making a character, and now you're the character. And as you talk, you are um, replaced with this character. And this, you know, this is something that's very advanced. And yet Apple's going to just be rolling it out to all kinds of devices. 
I think I finally understand the point of Animoji, thanks to this. And and it, let, me, let me just expound upon that for a second. So years ago, we had iChat AV. And with iChat AV, we had the ability to have multiple participants in a call, right? We could have three, four people in a call together. And we lost that ability. iChat AV went away. And with its messaging replacement, we, we just didn't have that capability to have multiple participants in a video call anymore. And now we have that back in FaceTime. In, in FaceTime and iOS 12, you can have up to 32 participants. One of the things that I've seen happen in Google Hangouts, which feels like it's sort of a similar UI in that you have a, a roster of people at the bottom and they they come forward and get bigger when a person is speaking, was the active speaker, is, is that sometimes you have public groups or public chats where you don't know who's in them and you, you end up with people who lose some of their anonymity because their face is there along with their name and their their contact information. And it feels like having Animoji in a group chat gives you back some of that anonymity. Yeah, and not just anonymity too, but like a you know, parallel thing that's, even when you're chatting with people you like and you don't care that they know who you are, you know, you can be chatting yeah. with your friends. Uh, video phones were always, I remember when I was a kid, they were kept talking about video phones like they were going to exist in the future and they never really materialized. And one of the reasons are that people don't, feel comfortable on camera necessarily most people don't like to throw themselves in in video chat because they want to make sure that they look okay no, and, no one likes the way they look and no one likes the way they sound on an audio recording either yeah yeah and it, you know if if you can and one of the things that you were mentioning av chat um that and photo booth if you're taking pictures of yourself or, or communicating over video and you can change your appearance and you can put on a filter you can you know have something like that it makes people a lot more comfortable. And if you're in a chat and you can um, apply the kind of filters that they're, they're showing, uh, which is very much like photo booth back in the day, and also um, the the new stuff with Animoji and this Memoji idea of mapping a character over your over your face gives you that kind of avatar. Um, that, that Nintendo Wii effect. <laughs> yeah, but it it it's it's anonymizing and also. Um, it gives you kind of a, a mask to hide behind so that you can you can be you and reflect what you're thinking and communicating without being as self-conscious about how you look. And so I think that's a really clever idea. I do too. It, it opens up messaging to a lot of people. I mean, it makes it a, a more, an easier thing to do. I, I think it's only a good thing. And I really like the way they, inter they integrated FaceTime with messaging. I wish they would have done it a long time ago, but... Because FaceTime was always kind of a weird thing, especially on the Mac, the interface for it. Um, the other thing, um, I hope you're done talking about messaging, because I wanted to talk about the new on. apps. Keep going. <laughs> the, the the new apps on uh, that they were showing off. Um, they're showing off news and um, stocks and the Home app, a, a variety of of new apps for that are on the Mac for the first time. It was kind of obvious, like as I was unfolding, that what they're what they're showing off there is the ability to run basically iOS code on the Mac platform, not as a way to get around, um, not as a replacement for the Mac, but really a, a way to take a lot of code that doesn't really have a need to have a native interface and making it more portable. So this year, Apple's doing it with their own apps to get it to the point where it works really well, and then next year they're going to open it up to third-party developers so that a lot of developers who have iOS apps this enormous platform where 
that has something like a billion users can now bring their stuff to the Mac. So there's, there's a lot of things that um, will be much easier to bring to the Mac platform when that happens. Right. In the, in the past, you had the, the core OS, the kernel was the same more or less, but of course compiled for the other architecture. And you had these different frameworks, whether they were AppKit or, or UIKit. And it took a lot of work to port an iOS application to run on Mac OS. And, and they know better anyone because, you know, the, the Photos application, there's Photos on iOS and they replaced iPhoto with Photos on Mac OS. And, you know, they did that a couple of years ago. Uh, for them to bring over voice memos, for them to bring over the news application stocks um, and a couple of the others, shows them really putting their foot deep in the water on this and, and making it public. And it's interesting because the, the way that they're doing it is basically in some ways analogous to the way that they did Classic back in the days where the Mac OS 9 ran on Mac OS 10 in a yeah. sort of emulation layer. Yeah, so the, the difference, the, the little bit of difference here is that um, when, Apple, when Apple introduced iOS, remember when the iPhone, the first two years actually, they called it oh, yeah. Mac OS, or it was an OS 10 iPhone. That's what they were calling it in the second year. It was only the third year that they started calling it iOS. And well, it was so, iPhone OS at, at, for the second version, but yeah. Yeah, they had these big banners, and, and it, it really actually was iOS you know, for a mobile device. Um, but they, they started naming it something totally different because even though it's so closely related, like you're mentioning, they really started over in some areas to rebuild it, um, to optimize it specifically for a different user interface with a different way of working on the screen. You don't have a pointer in iOS because you don't have a, you don't have a trackpad or a mouse pointer. You are working with uh, multiple con contact points, multi-touch. Multi and so they built some of the same ways of working, of, of developing apps, but created it for this totally different user interface that worked differently. And um, instead of having overlapping windows, you have uh, what, basically a window that takes over the whole screen. So there's a lot of things that were just completely different on, on iOS, and that's what they built it for. There's some reasons for um, kind of harmonizing those two things, but that's the, you know, one of the big things he, he pointed out on stage, um, Craig, was they're not trying to make them together. They're not trying to merge them. That's not even the intent. But there are a lot of iOS apps that are built, and there's, they could be adapted to run on macOS, uh, without losing anything. There's other apps that don't make sense to port, you know, right over um, because they're so different. So when you have apps like like Photoshop, um, you don't really want to have the Mac version of Photoshop running on an iOS device because the user interaction is so different, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of apps you actually want to, to develop and work and run differently on iOS because the screen size is different and, you know, all these things. But for apps that are quite simple, like information apps like news and stocks and things like that, uh, the home app, it's obviously going to accelerate um, things dramatically if you can take a functionality like that and adapt it to work on the Mac so that it, it picks up things, for example, the news app, uh, you can op uh, change the window size and you can you have scrolling behaviors and um, a lot of technical things change under the surface because of the way things are handled differently on the two platforms. So it is a, um, a way to bring a lot of software to the Mac, make it yeah. easier to, to bring things.
And, and the way that it's running is wild. I've been looking at this just a little bit while we've been talking. It's not exactly like the way the Classic app works. It's more similar than anything to the way that watchOS 1.0 apps work. What they're doing is they're running UIKit apps with XPC and remote rendering. So it, it's very much that remote rendering the same way that watchOS 1 did it on the local machine. It's, it's very interesting that, that, uh, that that's what they're doing basically here. Is, is almost like WatchKit in a way. It's it's a neat technical trick. They're they're basically what they're doing is they have in uh, the slash system directory in in uh, Mojave they have an iOS support folder and that's where the system folder and set of frameworks for this for iOS live within macOS Mojave, which is why I was thinking of it like classic. This yeah, so, they put so, a whole system folder in there. And the other thing that they compared it to was. Um, there's a lot of games that are built uh, that don't necessarily need to be specific to the Mac because their user interface doesn't make any... The game is all about the game. It's not fitting into the, the Mac desktop and, you know, conventions of Mac OS. So it's kind of a similar approach to that is making it so that you can take apps for, you know, code that was already designed for iOS and make it hosted on the Mac in a way that um, brings those apps over. That's, I mean, for me, that's kind of, in a way, the biggest change. We, it, these are all bets on the future, if you think about it. The the Apple Watch has always been a bet on the future. The AR kit is absolutely a bet on the future. Um, Mac OS with iOS support is definitely a bet on the future. All of this stuff is about laying the groundwork, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are just continually laying groundwork so that make sure you can build on top of them. And that's kind of the history of when, you know, when, when I went, or when, OS 10 first got launched, there was a lot of taking, it was, it was a system that already existed in the past for Next, but there was a huge amount of needing to um, update and kind of retrofit things to for more modern software. And then they got to a point where Mac OS was kind of the definition of modern software. And then it was building the future with iOS for, for mobile devices. And um, TVOS and watchOS are taking that same kind of technology and moving it to a very specific implementation, whether it's a wearable on your wrist or, or a user interface for a television. And each one is, has a very different user interface. Um, but now there's, what, four, four or five different platforms that Apple is running, and each one of them is kind of cross-pollinating with different features. And then there's kind of this continuity glue between them of being able to... Um, move things back and forth between different environments. So you can be starting your email on your phone and transfer it over to your Mac and keep working on it. Um, so yeah, there's a constant, constant moving towards the future in, in different ways. But it's cool to see how it all develops. Yeah. Can I ask, the, the one that felt like sort of a weak announcement to me was tvOS. And I say that because the things that they highlighted were were better screensavers and the wonderful screensavers from NASA of Shots of the Earth. Fine. Um, zero sign-on, which is if you're already subscribed to a, a TV subscriber and you're behind their internet service, then it will automatically go ahead and sign you into all of the applications that that for TV services that you're eligible for, which is convenient. But I I, I wasn't nearly as as excited about where that's headed as the other ones. Well, one of the things Apple has with, I mean, one of the things they need to do with Apple TV is get more people using it. 
because that's of all their platforms that's probably you know the smallest and it's something that people get kind of after their customers of other things um, so their their big announcements were uh, support from other cable companies because for a long time uh, cable has been all about sending streams of their own content right a bunch of you know originally it was like parallel analog streams of channels and they're progressively becoming more and more digital and Apple TV is is a entirely digital system where you you get what you want on demand and so um, working with cable companies to deliver that kind of content where they're basically acting more like a service provider and allowing you to stream whatever you need to stream whether you're streaming from um, HBO or Netflix basically um, that's the the uh, the difficulty there is getting people to adopt it and, and using their hardware as the the way to run that. So, you know, the, the kind of the big news that they showed was working with cable providers in the U.S. and other countries to first of all use Apple TV as the way to deliver cable content, and secondly, like you say, with the zero sign-on, making it really easy to do that without just kind of digging around with each. So the kind of each app we have to uh, go to the web and set up. So that's also a progressive thing of constantly making it easier and more, uh, more, um, more natural to roll out. So it's not just this thing where, hey, do I want this device that Apple makes as much as I'm going to get cable? How do I get the best cable service that's going to give me the, the kind of apps and content that I want? And then also on the side, I can play apps from iOS developers and access other non-game app kind of utilities. Um, so Apple's yeah. building that into a platform that people want to buy. Now, now that you speak about it, I, I think I understand a little bit better because they, they alluded to the traditional cable box disappearing and going away. And if that's the case, if the traditional cable box really is going away, the cable companies tend to want to be able to issue something to a customer. And so to be able to, to do the same kind of deal that DirecTV has been doing where when you agree to sign up, they give you the box, basically. So that would be a good way to get more Apple TVs out there, and that, that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, the big part of the, the success of the iPhone was not just that they were making a desirable device, but they were working with providers, uh, mobile companies, you know, starting with AT&T, to incentivize them to sell the device for them. And you see all these advertisements for iPhones. Most of them are put up by, I mean, almost all of them are put up by carriers in the, right. in the corner. They're, you see it's like, yeah, they're produced by Apple, but at the very end, there's a carrier branded symbol at the end. Depending yeah. on paying for that ad time. And so they're not only paying for the ad, but they're also promoting the, the sale of, of iPhone as the way to use their mobile service basically. And so that's a kind of a similar thing. What Apple's pursuing with cable companies is getting them to use their hardware is the best way to deliver the content that they're selling. Excellent. Well, this has been an interesting event. I, I think it, it's had a lot of things that were really exciting come out of it. Um, what would you say is the thing that really captured your attention the most so far? Uh, I really like the AR stuff, which goes in a lot of directions. It's not just the, the platform for third-party developers, but all the messaging stuff and being able to... Um, I did a little bit of playing around with you know creating in this character, and then when you start using it, you're like, wow, this is... I've just Were you playing the Lego? Uh, 
I the Lego thing is here to play with, but I'm talking about uh, setting up the uh, um, Memoji where you oh, okay. you create yourself, and then yes. when you're talking, you can actually like in FaceTime. It's it's kind of like um, iMessage apps where you can layer over a filter, or you can turn yourself into a. It, it maps it to your face. Remember last, or actually, it was the iPhone event when they showed off iPhone 10, and they showed off their own Animoji things, and then they showed off Snapchat, and they had the, the face tracking filters. And I kind of, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, why wasn't Apple doing that themselves? And that's what they're doing now. They're, they're making Animoji that map to your face so that, um, you know, once you make yourself, so you can customize a, a character. You can make all the characters you want. You can have different characters, and you put them on like a mask. And it's mapped to the, your own facial movements and everything. And now your tongue. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you can anonymize yourself, anonymize yourself or, um, you know, play a character or make a joke or whatever in actual video conversations with people. Or you can create a photo or whatever you want to do. But that ability to... Uh, create graphics and map them into the real world. I think it's pretty exciting. Awesome. Well, I, I know you're busy there. I know we caught you at the media room and you've got a lot coming up still. Um, I, I hope all our listeners keep following Apple Insider for the very latest in coverage out of WWC. And Dan, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for doing the uh, setting up podcast. <laughs> Next time I'll try to find a quieter room. <laughs> I, I, I understand. It's totally cool. Um, people follow Dan at Twitter at, at Daniel Aaron, uh, D-A-N-I-E-L-E-R-A-N. And go ahead and check out, of course, our Apple Insider and uh, App Ins Apple Insider underscore official on Instagram. We will be back more with, uh, with more on Friday. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs>